overtures to me are wasted time. Mm-hmm. And unless it's an overture where you're like, if there's a story being told in the overture, and I've seen that done with a couple different, sh- you couldn't really do it in this show, but like superstar, usually everybody stages the overture, yes. sometimes a little too ambitiously. Of course, as I will say again, Andrew Lloyd Webber's overtures are not really overtures. They're just a song without the lyrics from later. But anyway. Um, I wish you had an opinion about that. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. And every show, we invite someone who you'd see in the theater, either on stage, backstage, or in the house, to discuss an original cast album they love. And today we are joined by actress... Let's you just said go something actress like and director. Actress and director. It's Carrie Ginsburg, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi, My name Carrie. is Carrie. What's yours? <laughs> well, good. We'll jump right in. And you, <laughs> you're here to discuss. Tell the people. I am here to discuss Gypsy, a musical fable. You'll be swell. You'll be great. Gonna have the whole world on a plate. Starting here. There's so much to dive into <laughs> with Gypsy, yes. and I don't want to tip my hand too much, so I will just ask you, when did this show come into your your life? So when I was 11 or 12 years old, a community theater in Rockville, Maryland, Rockville Music Theater, it's a great little theater, it's still in operation, did a production of Gypsy. I auditioned for it, and I was cast as Baby Louise. And so to prepare for my time on stage, right. We, my mom and I, or my mom, my dad and I, went out and purchased a copy of the soundtrack, and we had it on audio cassette. Okay. We also watched, actually, the Rosalind Russell Gypsy film Mm -hmm. that we rented from Errol's Video Store, which was a local video chain. We're like really throwing back right right now to also sort of understand the story outside of the soundtrack. So you, wow, so you started right away as as Baby Louise. So (laughs) I guess the first question would be, because this is something I've always kind of wondered about all the professional productions of this show with the kids is how much of this show did you comprehend when you were baby Louise? I was a fairly savvy 11-year-old. Okay. I've been doing theater professionally since I was about six years old. Okay, so you were hip. So I had exposure, but I also came from a fairly traditional household. Okay. Um, manners and morals were very big growing up. It's in it really... Um, Doing theater as a child and and doing theater and professional theater, you can be exposed to a lot of things. So I had parents Mm who uh, were really particular about what I was or was not exposed to backstage. Um, Okay. So when I had time off stage, I would sit and do my homework or read a book quietly next to my parents. I wasn't running around running amok um, or getting up to no good. And I also had the opportunity, though, to work in uh, several professional houses in the D.C. area Mm -hmm. that um, they wouldn't have stood for shenanigans yeah. from, from kids. Well, the professional thing, yeah, mm-hmm. they absolutely won't. Not at all. So uh, in terms of Gypsy, how much did I understand? Well, I, I understood the basic story, the basic family story that was happening. But when you get to the burlesque stuff, mm-hmm. I don't specifically remember a conversation with my parents about what is burlesque and what does it mean, but mm-hmm. I knew that there was something um, adult about it. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely know that there are jokes within Gypsy, even within Sondheim's lyrics, mm-hmm. that I didn't get for years and years and years and years and years. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I grew up in an age where Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a movie that we watched mm-hmm. and then aged with. So you don't get all of the jokes. Right. Right? You don't get patty cake when you're nine. Right. But when you're 19, you're like, oh, well, that's a different joke that I laughed yeah. at. <laughs> but even in your in your upstanding moral household, you were allowed to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. I was not. Oh. <laughs> Dirty Dancing was also a film that we watched sometimes. Oh. Too. I don't know if I mean, we weren't we allowed to or I just didn't watch that. We had traditional values, but my parents certainly didn't shelter us from society, right? You don't want to be you don't want to be that kid in the corner who has no life experience. Sure. Well. So you're in the show and you you get so we should probably tell everybody I, I think a lot of people know Gypsy's a pretty famous show, but what is the story? Let's let's quickly just sort of go through what the story of Gypsy is. Well it spans many, many years. So I guess we should first start by saying that that Gypsy the Musical 
is suggested by the memoirs right. of Gypsy Rose Lee. Right. Uh, when the play opens, we meet Rose Hovick, Mama Rose, and her two you daughters. You know her real name. Oh, this is going to be great. Keep oh, going. gosh. <laughs> um, so the play opens with, with Rose Hovick and her two young daughters, June, who is very young, very blonde, very adorable, very talented, uh, and Louise, who's a little bit older and a little less talented, but she tries really hard. Um, auditioning for a kitty show. And so we learn very quickly that Mama Rose is sort of a stereotypical stage mom. She's right? the stereotype. Yeah. yeah. She is what the stereotype is based on. And I think. I think what's important to say also is that this musical is set um, at the height of the vaudeville era. And so these two little girls are, are billed as a vaudeville act. And the musical progresses as um, Mama Rose uh, fights really hard for baby June to become a star and baby Louise is pulled along with her. So we move through time uh, and we see baby Louise grow up into dainty Louise Mm -hmm. and baby June grow up into dainty June. And the act grows with them, but they are still very young. They are treated as babies. They are referred to as babies. So Rose is always there in the wings or sometimes on stage with them during their performances. And what we start to see is uh, Rose's, I'm going to call it love for her children and love for the spotlight starting to deteriorate their family life and and interfere with their children's careers. Mm-hmm. So along the way, yeah. Rose meets this man, Herbie, who's a candy salesman who also happens to be a manager of children's acts or has been at one point in his career. And he's a good man and he's good to her kids and he believes in um, June's talents and he's just, he likes a strong woman. (laughs) And so he and Rose start this very epic decades long relationship. he constantly proposes to Rose. She constantly puts him off, but he's always there on the road with them. Skipping ahead and moving very fast. Oh, so spoiler. Uh, Dainty oh, June elopes. The family, Rose, Herbie, and Louise, are actually at a train station waiting to go to the next uh, town when they find out that June has eloped. And so in a moment, Mama Rose says, I have a dream and it's about you, Louise, and we're going to change the act to be around you, Louise, who her entire life has been told that she's slow and and talentless and lesser and she doesn't shine as bright as June. So now all of a sudden we go into act two and the spotlight is on uh, dainty, now just adult Louise. Um, The act changes. Vaudeville is still on the decline. We see Louise trying really, really hard to be a star that she can't be, but her love for her mother um, and her respect for everything that her her mother and Herbie have done for her for so long um, keeps her trying. The act is booked into a burlesque house. And we know now that uh, Vaudeville is dead. Rose is appalled and they want to leave, but they're broke and they have no money. And Louise convinces her to stay. They'll do the act for two weeks and then that'll be it. Rose and Herbie will finally get married. They will finally be a family. Louise can have a farm. It will be wonderful. And it it turns out that a star act who's supposed to come into the night to perform on the burlesque stage doesn't show up. And Rose offers Louise up. Louise, who is quiet and awkward, Herbie leaves in a huff because he was expecting to get married and his heart is now ultimately broken. And thus Gypsy Rose Lee, Louise, is born. And so the last several moments of the musical, we see Louise arriving at stardom and owning this power that she has um, through her through her body uh, and through her stage presence, which she didn't know she had before. Mm-hmm. And Rose now shunted really far off into the wings. And is there still room for Rose or not? And the depending on what version of the musical you've seen, depending on where you fall down on the story, that's kind of the question at the end. Is there still room for Rose? What becomes of Rose? Mm-hmm. Does Louise or Gypsy Rose Lee still need her? Right. And it really does depend on how it's staged. Correct. But I think in this version, they're cool at the end. Yes. She sings Rose's turn and then yes. they're cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay. How is that for a synopsis? That was good. Okay, that was good. That was comprehensive. Um, <laughs> well, because it is a very plot-heavy show. Big. This is unlike unlike a f- several shows we've done. This is a, this is a show that that tells a story and it tells yes. someone's life story. Um, 
from when we meet them until their fame. But what's so funny about it to me is that it is a, based on the biography of Gypsy Rose Lee, uh-huh. but it's about her mother. Yes. It is not, it is as much as it is Gypsy Rose Lee's story, it is really her mother's story. And Agreed. it's the story of her mother who has 90% of the songs and a lot of those are solos and all the stage time and all the best lines. And the, I mean, it is a star vehicle for, of course, in this version, Ethel Merman. Mm-hmm. You say that as you as you got older and it, it you understood more of it. How has it stuck with you? Like, how has it changed and evolved to depending on where you are? I feel about Gypsy the way that I feel actually about Lucy Simons' Secret Garden a little bit, which are two vastly oh, different shows. Yeah. We're not going to talk about that. We're gonna talk we about can. Oh, it's okay. Let's focus on Gypsy. There's so day. much That's here. Fine. Okay, we'll talk about Gypsy. So the thing about both of those shows is as an actor and as an artist, I see that this is a production that I can return to as I age. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously I started as um, Baby Louise. I will do. Mm-hmm. And then we've had years since I was maybe. <laughs> You're not Mama Rose yet. No, you? I'm not Mama Rose yet. But but there are opportunities for Dainty Louise. If Mama was married, we'd live in a house as private as private can be. Just Mama, three ducks, five canaries, a mouse, two monkeys, one father, six turtles, and me. If Mama was married, mm-hmm. and perhaps one of the the strippers. You can sacrifice your sacro, working in the back row, bump in a dump till you're dead. Kid, you gotta get a gimmick if you want to get ahead. Or Mama Rose at some point. I had a dream, a dream about you, baby. It's gonna come true. Baby, they think that we're through, but baby. And then, depending on the production, returning to the stripper. You gotta get a gimmick. I mean, you could spend a yeah, lifetime in this show <laughs> and have yeah. it be sort of your signature, mm-hmm. signature show that comes along well, with you. There are so many opportunities, and the music is phenomenal. Oh, the music's amazing. It- it's a show that, and actually that's happened a lot, where like Bernadette Peters was Baby Louise and then came back and obviously did it in 2003 as mm-hmm. Mama Rose. Tony Yazbek, um, who played Tulsa in the 2008 revival uh, with Patti Lapone and Blarbinanti, he was one of the newsboys mm. in the Tyne Daily revival, which I think was 89. In the 80s. So it's something that this has happened with all kinds of people where gypsies, there because they don't stop reviving gypsy no. is another thing. They just keep, as we say, Ethel Merman, Angela Lansbury, Tyne Daly, uh, Patti Lapone, Bernadette, uh, Peters. Bernadette Peters, and um, uh, Imelda Staunton just yes. did it on the West End. I mean, it is, and it, there will be another one in five years of somebody you go, oh, wow, that's, that's an incredible... Uh, push. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's certainly a show that you can age with. There was another thing too that mm-hmm. kept me coming back to Gypsy as I was growing up on the stage. Um, so as a young musical theater performer, I was a little girl with a very big voice. Mm. And I had a manager when I was young who said that I sang like Ethel Merman. Okay. And so that stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, good, bad, or other. Right. And so there are songs from this show that are in my rep book that I have sung appropriately or not mm-hmm. at various ages. Um, in college, I uh, I needed a jazzy number um, for my voice lessons, and I brought in Rose's turn, and my voice teacher was like, "What is this? No, <laughs> just like, what do you think you're doing?" Well, it's also like six minutes long. It I like is. that. It is, but I like I mean, the story that. Well, it sure. Told. Oh, I it's, like the it's, acting it's, it's possibly. It I mean, it, it's up there with like Ladies Who Lunch as yes. like just one of the best music theater female solos. Period. Yeah. I mean, even say yeah. And I think, I think that that song was introduced when they were in out of town tryouts. I don't think it was in the original score. I think they wanted to put in a ballet of some sort towards the end because you know Jerome Robbins directed right. and choreographed it. Right. And so, they didn't have time to like figure out a ballet for Ethel Merman. Yeah. So Sondheim just sort of like whipped out a new song that's a verbal ballet. Right. That uses a lot of reprises from other numbers and and brings it all, which this show does amazingly well. Okay, so at this point, I'm just going to save this, but I'm just going to have to confess. I think this is the best musical, not ever written, but... 
this is the this got a lot of qualifiers, but that shouldn't diminish it. This is the best musical of the post Oklahoma pre company era, meaning that book musical era that Oklahoma kind of didn't invent but made popular. Mm-hmm. That lasted up through, you know, Candor and Ebb and Cabaret and mm-hmm. the company in 1970 pretty much just like not destroying it, but being like there's a new we can do something yes. different. And this is to me as good as it absolutely gets. The book is perfect in a lot of ways and the score is gorgeous. And the lyrics, of course, are this is like Sondheim's first really great lyrical yeah, work, I think. If you listen actually to the words in West Side Story, which was a couple of years before Dixie. Mm-hmm. The yeah. appropriateness for character wasn't quite right. there yet, mm-hmm. but he really nailed it. I agree with you, and I just I love this show. Yeah, I just love it. Yeah, and it's and it's funny that it's a show about. I mean, he said I just saw an interview with him in preparation for this, where he talks about why he thinks this is so good. Oh, tell me. We all understood what it was about. Julie understood what the what the style of the music should be because he was brought up in that atmosphere. Not burlesque in the music. Vaudeville. The trains. Vaudeville. 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 Right. Vaudeville. No, and he understood burlesque, of course, but the whole idea of the 20s and 30s, that kind of, that kind of, of, of vaudeville music, he understood. We all had, Arthur and I, we, and Julie, we had the easiest time. Gypsy was written in three months. Amazing. That is a very short sure. time. That and just it, doesn't sound real. No, it doesn't. And it's remained largely unchanged. Mm-hmm as it gets revived. Like we say, sometimes you can tweak the ending to be more cynical or less cynical or darker or not so dark. But, you know, people don't revive this and add songs. And there are songs that you can add. There are songs that were cut. Mm -hmm. But nobody does that. Nobody messes with this structurally and doesn't add numbers. They know it just gets revived pretty much as it was in in 59. It, It does have, I will say, one thing I've also complained about on this podcast, though, about musicals from this era is that they have a very long first act and a very short second yes. act. This definitely has that, yes. to be sort of fair to that. It, I agree There's with like you. four songs in the second act, and it's I didn't notice that until getting ready for this, that, you know, every uh, everything's coming up roses, which, you know, might be the best act one finale, <laughs> certainly arguably, um, is... Uh, it, you know, and then you have together wherever we go. You got to get a gimmick, and let, and then roses turn. I mean, you have a few reprises in there, but like that's that's pretty much it. So mm-hmm. it's, it is a very short second act compared to to the first act, which is unfortunate. I think. Yeah, and I forgot until I was listening to my CD compulsively in preparation to sit down with you today that there's only sixteen songs. Yeah, sixteen one six doesn't seem yeah long. No, not at all, and it's just. It's and a lot of those are revamps. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing. You know, you have "May We Entertain You" gets revamped four or five times. Yeah, and keeps changing titles beautifully. I have to say, like that is, you could almost write a whole like the music theater thesis on "Let Me Entertain You." Yes. Let me entertain you. Let me make you smile. Let me do a few tricks. I'm old and then some new tricks. I'm very versatile. And if you're real good, I'll make you feel good. I want your spirits to climb. Just let me entertain you, and we'll have a real good time. Yes, sir! We'll have a real good time! And how the lyrics, same lyrics at the beginning as they are when she turns into Gypsy Rosalie and starts stripping to them, and how just the tone and the tempo and now suddenly what she's doing completely changed the meaning. Let me Let me make you smile Let me do a few tricks Some old and then some new tricks I'm very versatile And if you're real good I'll make you feel good I want your spirits to climb So let me entertain you And we'll have a real good time Yes, sir We'll have lyrics suddenly have a whole different connotation and, to them. And as an actor, a young actor, it really teaches you the power of words and intention. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is very, very cool. Although, you know, one thing that does tickle me about the show to no end is uh, when we first when we first like meet the girls, um, when they're doing their first big vaudeville number, they're like extra, extra. Hey, look at the headlines on all like little newsboys. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And then and they're little newsboys like on a street in big city USA, let's just call right. it New York. Yeah. And then when they get a little bit older, they're on a farm. Right. But they they're say the singing. same extra, extra, hey, look at the head. And then mm-hmm. you fast forward and they're Toreadors, right? There's castanets. Right. And they still sing extra, right. extra, hey, look at the head. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's yeah. the number worked. And I it's guess would have, we would have, Well, but it's it's very it's very authentic. To, it could be lazy. You could sort of feel it as lazy. Oh, no. But the, the th- two things I like about it is that, one, it, it keeps giving you a reference point. For, mm-hmm. It lets you show how old they are because the people singing it are older each time or different. But the other thing it does is it really reinforces the fact that like that's what people would do. Like mm-hmm. they were just – because as you said, Mama Rose keeps making them be – she's baby June way past the time she's – should be baby June. And yes. then she's dainty June, which is not quite the same, no. obviously. Um, and even all the way up through, I mean, the farm number, which is just so funny. Uh, <laughs> With Caroline the cow still, who sings yes. in moose. Moo, 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 moo. I love it. That is the, <laughs> that is so humiliating to, because Louise is the cow, right? I'm not, yeah, she's yeah, okay. the front end of the cow, though. She's oh, right. not, the, not back the back end, end, of, end of, the of the cow. That's a very important distinction that Mama Rose makes. <laughs> sell anything so well but how do you feel about mama rose because what's interesting to me and that's a huge question but what's interesting to me is that we have a show that is the like that is an amazing character for a woman to play on stage mama rose is as i say almost all the songs are hers Mm -hmm. rose's turn is just an incredible finale Mm -hmm. for this character to sort of break down and build back up on stage again. She's one of the most complicated music theater characters ever Mm -hmm. and does these wonderfully compulsive things where constantly you're rooting it for her not to do what she's doing. Um, The the scene that kills me every time is when they go to the agent's office and the agent (gasps) says they'll take June without the family. Yes. And how Rose just will not won't hear it. She will not hear of it. And you sort of realize at that point this is all not going to end happily because she wants something that's impossible. And just from a business standpoint, it's completely impossible. But it's interesting to me. This is a story based on obviously a real person, but written by three men. And I think every time it's been professionally revived has been directed by a man. Jerome Robbins, Arthur Lawrence, Sam Mendes, Arthur Lawrence again, and Jonathan Kent on the West End. Okay. So... It is a, and I find that weird, frankly, for one okay. of a better term, because not, I mean, obviously it was written in 59, like it was written by men. That's who was writing musicals for the most part, except unless you're Betty Comden, right. like at the time. But the fact that it has never been, like that Susan Stroman has never directed Gypsy, mm-hmm. at least that I'm aware of. You should tweet at her. I should, because <laughs> she should absolutely direct this show. Um so what? But I, I'm interested to know what you feel about Mama Rose as somebody who's grown up in the theater, and who, you know, is obviously a part that you 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 like. Do you have sympathy for this character or this person? So I think that Mama Rose is that character that everybody works towards their entire career if they're a musical theater and a woman, mm-hmm. and you're in the right vocal range, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a mezzo right. belter, that's what you aim for. That's what you're working for, whether you realize it or acknowledge it or not. That sort of that's the big shiny top of the mountain role that if you can get to, that can be a moment. Mm-hmm. So you have to have sympathy for her because the moment as an actor, you start to have negative feelings towards a character is the moment that you've sunk the potential for your own performance and the own story that you can tell. Um, as an outsider looking in, right, as an audience member, yeah. boy, oh boy, she does a lot of things that just as a human being frustrate me. I re- but I, But as a person, I also get really upset when... People who have opinions cannot speak up to defend themselves. And mm-hmm. I see that a lot in Louise. I find Louise a little bit more frustrating than I do Mama Rose because oh, okay. you get what you get with Mama Rose. I mean, she doesn't she doesn't play. She is who she is. Right. You know where she's coming from. You know what her objective is. And you are along for that ride. And if you are Louise and you don't want to do it. Well, there is obviously – Louise obviously has something that draws her on stage because obviously – 
I mean, her mother can push her all she wants. Well, I think there's a But certain... she doesn't leave. Like, June leaves. June takes off. June yes. has had enough. June and, and leaves. And Louise won't leave and will always do what her mother asks her to do. Right. But up to and including the heartbreaking moment at the end of her mother throwing her on stage throwing to strip. Stage to strip. Which is just, like, horrifying if it's done correctly. Yes. And then triumphant when she succeeds yes. in this in this amazing and turnaround. So obviously, it what I'm saying really... is she obviously has a predilection to be on stage and the talent. She does actually have it because she eventually does succeed. It's not yes. like she goes on stage and has a breakdown. Right. She goes on stage and she makes it. She sort of takes all the sum of her knowledge yes. and suddenly makes it work for her yes. in a really triumphant way. But she is being pushed. She is being prodded. She is being yes. driven. I think she does it out of loyalty. I think loyalty is a big thing. I think love for a mother because you never, ever, ever, ever want to disappoint a parent, particularly somebody right. who has sacrificed so much for you. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what drives Rose, though, is this sense of um, abandonment because um, Rose Hovick's own mother left her when she was very, very young. Right. And so she always felt that sense of not good enough in herself. And then uh, her husbands have subsequently left her. So she's <laughs> she's a little bit on her own all the time. Mm-hmm. And I do get a sense that – and, boy, maybe I'm, like, reading into this too much. Um, but I do get a sense that if, if Louise was to leave her, she wouldn't have anyone. Even though Herbie is there, Rose would just completely come undone. Right. That there would be nobody left – Well, because that's why the ending is so interesting, because sometimes Louise does leave her. Yes. At the end there. I mean, she comes back. Or or doesn't. I mean, it depends on how it's staged. It seems like in this production, she does. Louise comes out and they have kind of a moment where, you know, Louise isn't going to let her flounder. No. But there have been productions of this that Arthur Lawrence has staged where Rose is alone at the end of that number. Yeah, they and get rid that's of the, just, that's the, the, the little scene. scene. Like he, and he wrote it. So, I mean, and yes. he cut it from, I think the Angel, I don't know if it's a Lansbury production or the Tyne Daly production, but it is like he just excised it entirely. And Rose is all by herself. And when he did it in 2008 with Patti Lapone and Laura Benanti, mm-hmm. the scene was staged in such a way where Rose, again, like they come out and have the scene, but then Laura Benanti leaves her on the mm. stage in a very real, like, I don't need you anymore kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And she's left. And then they have that great big sign that says Rose always going to flickers out. It's a really like intense moment. And what's so funny about the show, it uses its intermission very effectively to me where we close with everything's coming up roses, which is a manic moment. Yes. And everybody's kind of like on edge. And then we open with together wherever we go and everybody's fine. <laughs> Whatever's happened in the last 15 minutes or two years or whatever yes. it's been. It's clearly like they're having a good time of it, the three of them as a family, for want of a better term. <laughs> so there are good times. Camping in the desert. Right. We just don't <laughs> see a lot of the good times. We hear a lot about them, but we don't see too many, except for Mr. Goldstone. We yeah. don't see too many happy moments with that family. So I'm just sort of... That's a good question, though. What does happiness look like for them? Well, they don't seem happy to me. Just in general. Just in general. Yeah. And I could be... uh, That could just be my interpretation of it. But, like, the only time you see everybody happy is, to me, is Mr. Goldstone. And then together wherever we go is the other... But you've lost June at that point. I mean, so that's why I mean by everybody. Like, the whole... Mm -hmm. The whole... The foursome that is the original family. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess I don't have a question here. I'm just really talking. <laughs> I was trying to formulate a question. So, But then let me ask you a question back. So sure. you said that you think that everybody is happy in Mr. Goldstone. Yeah, I did say that. Except for Mr. Goldstone, maybe. Except Louise isn't there. Ooh. And it's her birthday. It is. They're supposed to be having a birthday party. Right. Mama That's a makes point. a big stink because the hotel, the hotel or the apartment. I'm not quite sure if they're whatever. Well, the at the time, those staying, things were too. Yeah, they're staying in some kind. Uh, comes in and and says, "I lent this to so many people, and there's animals here, and do you have a hot plate going?" And there's like 15 kids running around, right? And, and, and they've ordered Chinese food. And there's Chinese food, and she's reheating it, and there's a cake and what have you. Um, and everybody is excited to celebrate Louise's birthday, and then Herbie comes in. With Mr. Goldstone. From the Orpheum Circuit. From the Orpheum Circuit, who's going to get them an audition for this big theater in New York City. And they are going to arrive, finally. And Mama goes off on Mr. Goldstone, which is a great song. We should come back to it in a second. It is. Okay. But Louise leaves the room. 
Right. So there's this cacophony of excitement. Right. And Louise isn't there for it because she is not happy. That's a good point. I didn't think about her that. Happy, I mean, her her one moment to shine, right? It's right, her birthday. It is her day. Right. And it is Undercut stolen from her. By June. Yeah. I, by her mother. Yes. Honestly. But, but by yeah. June in proxy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's really – there is no moment really where the family of four – No. Except for maybe when Herbie first comes on the stage. They're all pretty cool. Yeah, that's like, pretty – That's pretty congenial, but it's not like everybody's thrilled. No. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, let's stick with Mr. Goldstone for a second. Have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone. Have a napkin, have a chopstick, have a chair. Have a spare Mr. Goldstone. Any spare that I can spare, I'd be glad to share. Have a dish, have a fork, have a fish, have a pork. Put your feet up, feel at home. Have a smoke, have a coke. Would you like to? my favorite song really have an egg roll Mr. Goldstone or well, whatever it's called have it's a called Goldstone Mr. Egg Roll, egg roll I like right. it because she just gets so out of control yeah. have a Goldstone Mr. Egg Roll tell me any little thing that I can do have some fried rice Mr. Soy Sauce have a cookie have a few what's the matter Mr. G have another pot of tea Mr. Goldstone I love you everything gets out of control and she's so excited and as a person when I get very very excited about things <laughs> I'm very verbose. I'm sure you can tell. Mm -hmm. Um, But words start to just sort of leave me or they get all jumbled or whatever, and it just falls out. And and I think that that's really – I think it's a brilliant song. Mm -hmm. I think it's really – the lyrics are – Yeah. On point. They're tumbly. Yeah. They're very tumbly. And it's it's a – it's not a patter song per se, but well, it kind of becomes fast. one. It, yes. it becomes. It doesn't start out, it's, and it's really great with its crescendo. And it starts, yes. and it's type of, that starts March as a march, and then yes. becomes this manic spin into yeah. God knows what. Uh. But it, but you sort of feel like you're falling into this vortex with them. Oh yeah. Well, and also that's a good song in that. Mo- I mean, that's the other thing about this show being constructed the way it is: is you you get swept up yes. in their excitement, and you see how this can be this is addictive like yeah. this and that mama rose is very charismatic for all of her blundering and bust and yelling and screaming mm-hmm. she is very charismatic and you know especially when you have a parent who is withholding emotionally you live for those moments of happiness and and sort of and and uh, and balance um but of course as we say everybody as you pointed out everybody except louise is thrilled except, but, with mr goldstone but it's one of those moments too where if you if you don't know this musical and you don't know what's coming mm-hmm. you think that maybe just maybe they've made it and they're going to be okay and yeah. maybe now there'll be in this end rose will come down and maybe she and herbie will get and everybody can eat something more than leftover chinese food and right. you know they can be a family like a true more traditional family right. whatever that Whatever that like, is, exactly right. Um, for them, and uh, so it's it's a it's this tiny little kernel of hope. I remember thinking when I first heard this show. I remember constantly being lost oh. listening to the cast recording without having read the synopsis or anything, and songs like Mr. Goldstone confused the ever living crap out of me because. With no context. Oh, yeah. All you've heard is Ethel Merman sing Some People, Ethel Merman sing Small World, then you get Baby June and her Newsboys, and then it's Mr. Goldstone. And I'm just sort of, I never, I couldn't follow who Ethel Merman was talking to at any given moment. So it just sort of felt like, like I got the vaudeville numbers. I kind of got what was happening with them. But it does sort of feel, just listening to the recording, Mm -hmm. it's a series of solos, basically. And without context. So, like, if you have some people, she's singing to her dad because he has a line. And then you have Small <laughs> World. But she never says Herbie's name in this recording at any rate. Correct. A lot of their subsequent recordings have added more dialogue, I think, just for that reason, to give you a little more following the show. But this is Goddard Lieberstein, so we're not getting – or Goddard Lieberstein, so we're not getting, we're not getting dialogue. Um, and – yeah, so it's just it was a little hard to follow. So I remember when that song came along, just being like, I don't know what in the world is going on. And I think it's sung in the show by her like Herbie has lines and on some but like on this recording, it's just Ethel. I well think. and it's honestly hard to tell from the soundtrack, and this is where I start to like teeter on the edge of like, oh, don't disparage the merman. Her singing is not particularly nuanced on the recording. No. 
So it's very difficult to tell in performance how layered perhaps Rose was and whether Klugman's interjections on the recording are coming from like a real emotionally in the moment place and she's just singing to sing. Right. Or if that's how it was on stage, if she's just all brass all the time. Yeah. I mean, it is. And without the now her line readings, we do get a few lines on this recording, which is rare, as I say, for the producer, Goddard yes. Lieberson. But like when she says, Then I'll get it someplace else, but I'll get it and get my kids out. Like that is, she has, there's force there. There's a delivery mm-hmm. to that line. She's not just reciting words to get to the next verse. But you are right. And I wonder how much of that is just her, she's a recording star. Like that's her whole deal mm-hmm. at that point. So, you know, she knows her way around a recording studio. And I mm-hmm. wonder if it's just like, this is just in the studio. This is what she sounds like. But like you say on stage, maybe it was a little more subtle. Or maybe or not. not. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's not a there is not a traditional chorus number no. in this show. Mr. Goldstone comes close, but it's two notes or three notes. It's not like a chorus number. Correct. Yeah. And and these people are featured in non singing roles for the rest of the show too. They're just kind right. of assembled and cobbled for these moments. Well, and it's why you have you may not. I'm glad this this came back around again. You may not know. Do you know that Sondheim is on this recording? No. So during uh, some people, there's the line. And all that I need. Getting 88 cents from me, Rose. That's Stephen Sondheim. Because the actor who played the dad wasn't called to the recording because they didn't want to pay him. And he doesn't he have anything sing. to sing. Right. Yeah. So they didn't bring him. And it, But it apparently, according to Sondheim, didn't occur to everybody that this was a problem Oops. until very late in the recording session. It's an, it's an interesting original performance because it's impossible to imitate. It was made for her. Right. It was written for her. She's the reason Sondheim didn't write the music because she didn't want an unknown writing the music. Well, and, and so she hired they had Julie Stein, which was but Cole Porter. Cole Porter turned it down. Uh, Frank Berlin. Lesser turned it down. Irving Berlin turned it down, and then it got to Sondheim, who mm-hmm. said yes, and then she turned him down. Yes, so then he wrote the lyrics for Julie Stein, um, which I think is the right choice. I think Julie Stein was the right composer for this. Cast and, early, cast off. Absolutely, right? there you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the problem we often have with star vehicle revivals. Is that like when people do Evita, mm-hmm. you can't help but he see and hear Patty Lapone, no matter how anybody performs those songs. It's it's just and that is a problem of having these cast albums. Like that's how we first experienced Evita, so that's where it comes from. Right. So I don't care who you are, you you appear to be evoking Patty Lapone because Patty Lapone is leaving it all on the stage Absolutely. when she does Evita. Whereas Ethel Merman Mm -hmm. and her kind of limited acting range creates a very nice blank slate almost where like you can't imitate Ethel Merman. It's not possible without doing an overt imitation of Ethel Merman. Right. It's like Kate Smith. Like you just don't – you either have the voice or you don't or you're like you're imitating that bit. So when you listen to Angela Lansbury and Tyne Daly and other artists do it, it's them. They're able to create – a character out of this very iconic, I mean, iconic performer. They have their performer. own texture, which is, right. which is great. And bring their own kind of mania to it. And then they're not, and because they all probably first heard it with Ethel Merman. It's mm-hmm. a it's a weird kind of compliment, but it is. I think it's a, it's a great fortune of this show. But she, I mean, this show was interesting also. In, like, this is a star role, obviously. This is an award-winning role. Um, she didn't win. Well, that's the thing. The general misconception is she's the only one who didn't win for playing Mama Rose on Broadway. She's is not true. No. Because Bernadette Peters didn't win either. So. Right. No, this show was nominated for, I think, eight Tony Awards mm-hmm. in 1959. Do you know how many it won? Zero. It won zero Tony Awards. Zero Tony Awards. <laughs> it won none. It is. And she lost out to The Sound of Music. Yes, this Mary was Martin? the same year as The Sound of Music. So what happened this year, so there was no award for score in 1960. It wasn't one of the categories. It was not one of the categories. Oh. Um, so Sondheim and Julie Stein were not nominated. Uh, okay. Just because it wasn't an award. That year was the, the five musicals nominated for Best Musical were Sound of Music, Fiorello, Once Upon a Mattress, Take Me Along, and Gypsy. Three, uh, Four of those, actually, you would probably know. Right? Yes. Or at least know of. I don't know Take Me Along. Gypsy lost to a tie between Fiorello and Sound of Music. Fiorello won the Pulitzer Prize that year. I remember year. that from an earlier episode yes, of there the you original go. cast. Uh, Sandra Church, who plays Louise, lost to Patricia Newey, 
uh, in Sound of Music, who plays the Mother Abbess, who sings mm. Climb Every Mountain. Jack and Klugman was nominated. Jack Klugman was nominated. He lost to Tom Bosley in Fiorello oh. because the rules were at the time... This went on for a long... This is a bizarre rule. The Tony Awards used to do lead actor and featured actors by where your name appeared on the poster. If your name was above the title, you were a lead actor. If your name was below the title, you were a featured actor. I didn't know that. That's That's amazing. how it used to be. So Tom Bosley, even though he's playing Fiorello in Fiorello, was listed below... Because he wasn't <gasps> a star, was listed below the title. So he's a featured actor, even though he's the lead in the show. So he beats Jack Klugman. What a strange rule. For, yeah, it went on for a long time. It's why uh, William Daniels... Uh-huh. who is Mr. Feeney to most people, but played John Adams in 1776, refused his Tony Award because he was nominated for Featured Actor. But he was that was an ensemble show, so they listed everybody below the line. They changed it. I don't know when they changed it, but they changed it soon after that because it's, it's dumb. Like, that's a dumb... It's weird. Yeah, it's a weird line to draw. So it, it did. It won no Tony Awards, which still shocks me. I mean, mm-hmm. it just is one of an iconic musical and an iconic production. Ran for 700 performances. Was a hit. Mm-hmm. And the album won the Grammy uh, for Best Musical Cast Album. Unfortunately, it also tied uh, that with Sound of Music. Um, yeah, I know. So. They're so different. <laughs> they're, they're they are shockingly different. different. Shockingly different shows. And, yeah, couldn't be more different. Both based on true stories. Yes. About musical people. Yes. That's interesting. And Fiorello is a true story, too. I just, hmm. That's interesting. Once on this mattress is not a true story. That's what they want you to believe. That's right. (laughs) Very well could be. It's the true story of how Carol Burnett rose to stardom. There you go. Um, Once on this mattress. What is that? Once upon this mattress. (laughs) Once upon a mattress. Wait, what am I saying? Once upon a mattress, right? Once upon a mattress. Once upon, not this mattress. That's a different show. Um, That's the mashup of Once on this Island and Once upon a mattress, (laughs) which also would be interesting and a little dark. Which is, that's Mary Rogers, isn't it? Yes. So Mary Rogers, Richard Rogers... Oscar Hammerstein and Stephen Sondheim all had shows nominated for Best Musical in the same year in 1960. That's, That's a small cr- incestuous pool. Right. And it was Hammerstein's last show because uh, he died soon after that. And it was Sondheim's like the beginning. Of, I mean, West, and sorry, tightly. And Hammerstein convinced Sondheim to do Gypsy. To do Gypsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And... Uh, no, I think that's it. I think that's the end. And Mary, <laughs> Mary and Mary Rogers and Steven Sondheim are friends. That's all I've got. That's the end. Of, that's the end of my thread. Um, that is a funny. Yeah, it, it's just further proof though that awards don't really mean anything. Nice as they are. Sure. And super great. They uh, they don't really mean. Anything. Well, and subsequent productions of Gypsy have done very well. Oh, very very well. Yeah, and like I say, everybody except Bernadette Peters has won the Tony Award for Best Actress because it it is an award winning. My late mentor Jane Pessy Townsend often mm. said that that there are certain roles. That as long as you walk out on the stage and don't fall down, you will get nominated for an award. Because she she said this to me when she was up for two Helen Hayes Awards for actress and supporting actress in a musical. She had done in the same musical in the same year. She had done putting it together oh. and Pirates, and, and she was up for each of those. And it was just we wrote a little thing about it in the school paper, and. I asked her about it, and that was her response. She's like, those are award-winning parts. You do those parts, you walk out on stage, you sing it on T, and you don't fall down, and you're going to get nominated for an award. And she didn't win either. She was like, I'm not going to win. So this is, I, I, you know, that's a different... And she rattled off. She's like, Sweeney Todd, Mrs. Love. She rattled off all these parts. <laughs> She's like, you do these, and you do them correctly. They're so well-written, you you can't screw them up, as long as you just do what somebody wrote for you. Yeah. And don't make an ass of yourself. And, I mean, clearly Mama Rose is one of those... Parts and her. I mean, I think Herbie and Louise are those parts too. If you do them, you, you, you do them justice. They will serve you yes. very, very well. And I do. I, it's interesting that you brought up the idea of whether you have to have sympathy for a character to play them or not. And I don't. I always wonder if you need to have sympathy, or do you just need to understand? Or is that okay. the same thing to you? Do you think? Or are they connected? I do believe that they're connected. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you have to like the right. person. Right, that that's you're always the, the question. Always gets asked: Do you have to like? The, do you like this person? Oh and gosh, that's that the comes wrong up question. in talkback sessions all the time. I'm How sure can it you does. Play this character; they're so violent. It's like, well, what is your opinion? <laughs> that's right. I don't have to. I don't have to like the character, but I can't right. actively dislike, at least while I'm doing the work. Okay. Before you know, before I'm associated with a project, or after I'm associated with a project, those real emotions might show back up. Okay. Like. 
she's she's just a lunatic or maybe she's a bad mother or Mm -hmm. she's domineering. Is there a recuperation period for you after a show like that? Gosh. Yeah. So this past summer, I had the privilege of performing in Next to Normal Mm -hmm. in Keegan Theater uh, as Diana Goodman. And I am still in recovery from that show. She got into my head a little bit. And this is a part. Yeah. yeah. And this is a show that's going to stick with me for a long, long time Mm -hmm. because the mental illness component aside, she is a very, very complicated woman. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of levels that you can delve into and how far you want to go is entirely up to the actor portraying. So the farther you go, the longer it takes you to sort of climb back out and find who you are again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always joke with my my husband, James Finley, who's also an actor in town, um, that there are there are certain parts of the characters I play um, that bleed into me as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that sort of sort of reframes who I am as I go forward. So several years ago, I played a um, a Jane Mansfield character. OK. Uh, and I went like like perox I mean in our wedding pictures I'm peroxide bottled blonde because I just went full <laughs> Marilyn. Sure. Um but my walk got a little volumier and uh-huh. my laugh got a little sillier. Mm-hmm. And the character in the play refers to martinis as martunis. And so like I won't order a a a vodka dirty martini now. I will order a dirty martini. And that's just sort of part of who I am mm-hmm. now to go on. So I, I think that someone like Amama Rose sort of sticks with you for a little bit. I would imagine. <laughs> I have to because you can't watch yourself doing that. You have to be in the moment. Right. Right. You can't be above looking down being like, oh, I would have done that. Di-. No, just do it differently. Right. Just be in that moment and be who you are. So. But is there a difference in terms of emotional catharsis with a character like, let's contrast for a second, Diana and Mama Rose. Diana ends in a place of at least resolution okay. so we say not happiness but is a is better than when we met her okay maybe yes maybe we'll say maybe for the sake of this conversation well yes. let's say healthier anyway okay uh possibly happier would you buy any of these adjectives these are adjectives okay, different th- let me let me cut, let me let me, <laughs> let me end the sentence and then you can tell me so she ends she ends in a certain place yes that is different from where she began i agree mama rose ends in a place that I think Mama Rose would say, depending on how you stage it, is potentially worse than where she began. Yes. So would you say that even though Diana's journey is certainly more introverted and intense and one of self-discovery uh-huh. and and family and obviously pharmaceuticals and mental health, Mama Rose's journey isn't one of self-discovery until it suddenly is, like until the end when she suddenly has this number and really confesses her sins, for want of a better term. Would you find that harder to get over? Or do you think that they're kind of equal because the journey's still intense no matter how you get it? You see what I mean? If you yes, walk no, off, I understand you, yeah. your question. Uh, so, yeah, the look that I just gave you, which plays really well on podcasts, um, <laughs> uh, was, was my, like, my brain is firing face. So... In a way, yes, I think it is more difficult because the work that you have to do to get Mama Rose to a place where she can <laughs> she can make that Rose's turn mm-hmm. is a little bit more self-guided. Okay. She ignores the clues that come up along the way mm-hmm. until she real until, until she there's can't. nothing left, right. until she can't ignore it anymore. Right. Whereas Diana's journey, there's a lot more input coloring her journey. I mean, yeah. you know, there's just, there's more of a story mm-hmm. there. I mean, there's stories in both Well, of them, it's a journey, but, but it's it is, a it is much journey. more, Next to Normal is much more her journey of discovery. Well, and, the, and there's, there's, there's so much more of the, the family influence and seeing how, how her action and, and um, her actions and her mental illness color everybody else and taking that in and, and how people uh, in, in her, in Diana's world, um, respond to her even when she's not having these these terrible manic moments, right? If somebody mm-hmm. is is mentally unbalanced, the way that people treat them even when they're not quote unwell right. is very different than um, Mama Rose just being on her rampage all the time. Right, and it is also, I mean, next normal is much more of a. I mean, everybody has their moments of very much so. of of happiness, it's, sadness, and stage time. It's a much more shared it's stage experience that than way. Gypsy is, where yeah. you know, most of the emotional angst or 
you know, whatever you want to call it, at the end is laid at Mama Rose's door. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I didn't answer your question well. And I realize that there's no good, bad, or other here. Yeah. So. Okay. Is that, is Rose's catharsis hard? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the short answer to your question. Okay. Do you think it's a catharsis? I mean, you just said something really interesting a second ago where you said that, that she makes this Rose's turn. I mean, you took it in this like sideways because it is kind of a funny, it just occurred to me. It's her turn. Like, that's what she says. When is it my turn? When do I get a turn to myself? But it is also literally a turn. She, yes. She veers suddenly into the mirror, basically. And yeah. she's going to take and she's going to look and see, why did I do it? What did it get me? I mean, that's the question she asks. And she doesn't. It was funny that, like, I read a synopsis of this online today that sort of said she finishes the show admitting she did it for herself. herself. But I don't. Do you think that's true? That at the end of the song, she admits that this was... Because to me, the lyric that sticks with me is... I had a dream. I dreamed it for you, June. It wasn't for me, Herbie. And if it wasn't for me, then where would you be, Miss Gypsy Rosalie? And she closes by screaming. Well, someone tell me, when is it my turn? Don't I get a dream for myself? Starting now, it's going to be my turn. Gangway world, get off of my runway. Starting now, I bet a thousand this time, boys. I'm taking the vows. The audience, I think, has a better grasp of Rose at the end of that song than Rose does. Okay, I'll buy that. Because I think she says a lot of things that are are revealing, but she doesn't hear them as revealing in the same way. Like that switch you just said, you know, I did a dream, I dreamed it for you, June. It wasn't for me, Herbie. It's a direct refutation of what Herbie has said earlier that like you're just doing this for yourself. But then she instantly turns around and goes, and if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be anything, which is a complete refutation, uh, proving Herbie right, Yes, basically. but like if you think about that even further, she, I mean, she thrust her daughter out into yeah. the oldest profession on stage, Right. right? <laughs> That's true. So she she the she third took oldest this, profession. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we want to split hairs, but, but yeah. Right, yeah. But so I mean, she she took this young woman who was loving and sweet, and who tried really really hard, and just and wanted so much for her to be loved, mm-hmm. and and for her mother to be proud of her, and the only way that she could do that is to go on stage and take like and take off her cl- clothes. I mean, I know. that's yeah, awful. It's pretty rough. And but I, I I do really. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's something. This song is so deep, and the deeper we go, the 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 more. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's it's brilliantly written. It's wonderfully executed, and like my serious favorite song. Sure. On, on the album is is Rose. I don't see turn. how it can be anything else. No. I mean, I think that whether you, I mean, I say it's like Ladies Who Lunch, but actually. It's not because I realized I saw I've seen Company a few times. And the last time I saw Company, I kind of realized that Ladies Who Lunch is like the to be or not to be of American musical theater. But in the sense that when it starts on stage, everybody leaves the show mentally. That's true. Because we've all heard to be or not to be a billion times. So when the actor starts saying it, you go, oh, we're here. And you all kind of sit up Mm -hmm. and just you're for a moment not watching Hamlet anymore. You're watching. No, and it also everything gets very still. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're also being like, oh, that's the next line. I never knew what the next, you know. Um, and uh, <laughs> as as it is, I'm not going to do to be or not to be right now. But then when people, so the same thing happens with Ladies Who Lunch, because in that show, it's the first time that a, a woman has stepped forward and sung a song entirely uninterrupted. Uh-huh. And the show very much stops. And there's no, I really feel bad for anybody performing that song because there's just no way you're not going to be, again, as we talked about earlier, compared to Elaine Stritch or any of the other, like Patti LuPone, any of the other people who have sung this song in cabaret or in the show, you are being held to this standard now. Deborah Monk, like all these people are, and and there's no way to win. Whereas Rose's turn is like, you know, and, and Ladies Lunch is a brilliant song, not to take anything away from its construction, but... Rose's turn is a character finally telling you the truth, and you've been dying for her to do that, mm-hmm. to just tell me, what are you thinking? Because every single song she has before that, she's selling somebody something. Yes. Even herself. She is selling, you know, 
Papa. She's selling Herbie. She's selling Louise. She's selling Mr. Gold. So she's selling constantly. Yes. And now finally there's nobody left to sell. Well, so she's, she's trying to sell it to herself. Yes. Yeah. And she and or succeeds or fails, depending on how you want to take it. But it is just she's left in this very unusual place. Well, she's vulnerable. We don't see her really being vulnerable. Why did I do it? Why did it get me? Scrapbooks full of me in the background. Give them love and what does it get you? What does it get you? One quick look as each of them leaves you. All your life and what does it get you? Thanks a lot. Out with the garbage. They take vows and you're back zero. So it is kind of a like, even though she acknowledges she was there, there's no reward. There's right. no prize. And I wonder how much that is her actually just sort of realizing that. That like yes. the, the genuine question of why did I do it is something she's never actually considered until this moment. When there's yes. nothing – the real thing is is there's nothing left to do. No. Because Gypsy Rosalie is a star. Well, and even in the scene that leads into Rose's turn, we're in Gypsy's dressing room mm-hmm. at Mincy's. Yeah. Gypsy has a maid – Mama says, I'll run your bath. Gypsy says, no. Mama says, I'll pull out your dress. Gypsy says, no. Gypsy says, she's going to a party. Mama says, they always used to invite me to the parties first. Right. I mean, I could keep going, but there's a, there, you're absolutely right. There's a sense of like, there is nothing, there is nothing left. So what, it, the, the, the thing to me though, is then if the character is left bare on stage, which we love to see and laid waste, what does this show say about this character? Where are, where are we? with this woman at the end that she did something and she succeeded. I mean, that's the great, and that's what makes it of course a tragedy is that she absolutely succeeded. Her child is a star is what she sets out to do at the beginning and she gets what she wants. Mm -hmm. And as the, you know, as we say, when the gods want to punish us, they answer our prayers. (laughs) So where is she at the end in this sort of like real emotional way to you? I'm asking you like, and as, and, and ties into that, what I was asking you about next to normal of saying, is she in a place of lost desperation and loneliness or is she, I mean, cause I don't think we could argue she's better than when we found her. Or maybe we could, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but where do you think she's at, at the end? Where do you, where do you find Rose Hovick at the end of Rose's turn? I think she's alone, and that's a really scary place for her to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because even when she when she was the only adult fighting for her girls, she at least had her girls, and she was fighting for somebody other than herself. I don't think she knows how to fight for herself. And so I think there is potential for a, a, a place of despair. Mm-hmm. I believe I agree with you that she's – I don't think that she's any better than where she – she started, mm-hmm. and I certainly she's not happy. Right. It's she's such an enigmatic happy. place to leave a character, though. Is my this main character? I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that. Yeah. Question. Well, I kind of sprung this on you a little bit. That's but. all right. No, that's fine. But this is this is the th- this is the thing that's yeah, going to keep answer me up the now. question. Karen. Thanks. Can I call you in a week and come back and we can like figure this out? I just need to do. I need to go home and like character diagram a okay, little bit. Okay, sure, right. Get a copy of the book and like read no, it. We're gonna do some improv. Yes, and me. Is it good or not? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know do that we're meant to know. Well, this yeah. thing is, I don't know that we're meant to know. I wonder if it's one of because the, the the reason shows like this get revived over and over and over again is for one of two reasons: other that they're guaranteed to make money, right, or that the there's something that people want to explore There's still something about more. this show. Yeah. And obviously there are a lot of shows that are both that get revived, A, because they make a ton of money, but B, they just keep attracting talent because, yes. I mean, like South Pacific is one that I think of. Like there's a lot of great parts. <laughs> there's great parts for all kinds of different people in it. Yeah. And like it makes a ton of money every time it comes back. Mm-hmm. And Gypsy certainly does well. Like, every revival wins Tony Awards, runs for a while, probably launches a tour, certainly has a cast album that sells. Like so it's it's doing its thing. But there is this very interesting and difficult to stage finale, you know, yes. for, from a, from the era of what we would call classic musical oh, yeah. American the- American musical theater. This woman goes nuts. Great. Fine. But, you know, then when we, we build to that great note, I mean, the great high note and the great push and the great everything and the brass is going. Mm-hmm. 
we still have to do something after that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's nothing, which says its own thing. We can't just put the curtain down. Well, but this is a musical that does, and it sort of bucks tradition at this point, too, because there's no closing ensemble number. Right. We have Rose, who I think we're agreeing is a bit unresolved. Just a little, yeah. Um, and then that's it. Yeah. They She exits through the stage door and blackout and curtain call. Right. And it's just, I would love to see the show without a curtain call. I would, I would just absolutely. I wish. Oh, those poor confused audience members. So they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Oh, but you know, I love that. Uh, Just (laughs) bring up the no, bring up the house lights, open the doors, and just you're out. So do you still listen? But I mean, this was unequivocally the show you wanted to do. Yes. You reached out to me and I think within three minutes I wrote back. You said, oh, Gypsy. Yes. So is this something that you you come back to? Yes. A lot over and over again? Yes. So um, I have a CD player in my car. We have no CD player in our house. I have the album on CD. And I have... Uh, CD books. At some point sure. in my 20s, I got mm-hmm. rid of all the jewel cases and I put all the lighter oh, notes. Oh, you're one of those. Oh. I did. I put everything in a... In my like wife a, was one of those. Yeah. And, but I do have all the liner notes. They're all... Um, I have a different book for musicals. I have a different book for classical music. I have a different book for pop. Like nice. I, and, okay. And my pop stuff, I have two massive... CD books and they're like alphabetized. Oh nice. my gosh! Yeah, it's just I'm I so that yeah, gets yeah. into my level of type A ness. Sure. I'm also a Virgo, so everything is explained. But um, this CD lives in the pocket behind the passenger seat of my car. Okay. So when so it's you can not get it whenever in you need it. the it when it's not in the player, I can reach and get it when I'm driving and listen to it without having to like click 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 scroll right. through the iPod to find it or gotcha. any of those things. I can just. You know, so it's fair to say you listen to it. I do. Quite I listen a bit. to it a lot. Wow. I listen to it a lot. That's amazing. There's also something. It's good. <laughs> Ethel Merman is like good pump up music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have been trying recently to get back into musical theater and to audition for more musicals. Mm-hmm. And having had a the fortune of having a career um, in DC stages, doing predominantly. Straight plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to introduce myself to people as a musical performer. So, you know, you don't want to you don't want to belt your face off to everything's coming up roses when you're going to audition for a song. But like, you can sing it quietly as a warm up in the car. That's fine. <laughs> it's also really good sitting in traffic music because mm-hmm. I can just my brain can focus on the traffic ahead of me. But I can mm-hmm. also I know all of the words. Mm-hmm. I know every cadence. You know, it's just it's, it's something very that's singable. I mean, it's very yeah yeah. I was very fortunate growing up in theater and doing theater from a young age to not have stage parents like Mama Rose. I didn't want to ask, so I'm glad you brought. Oh yeah, no, no, no. My parents, my parents were amazing, and I was, I was so lucky. I was so lucky um, to to come from a family that was supportive of arts. And when I wanted to study theater in college, there was no objection. There was just, you know that's great and we can make that happen for you. Please just make sure you take classes that are a little bit harder, mm-hmm. um, you know, a harder science or a harder history or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that way when you graduate, you have other things that you can also rely on to subsidize your theater career. Right. Well, this is great, Carrie. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You are me. the first person I met because of this show, entirely <gasps> because of this show. And at this point, we do have to recognize Heather Hurley. Yeah. Who is the reason that I met you in the first place? Who I have also have to point out, I have never met her in person. She's great. I have told her she can be on the original cast. She should. Whenever she wants. And she has not taken me up on it yet. So now I'm going to put, make sure this is in the show. Yes. So this is a call. Heather, I love you. Come on the show. <laughs> I would love to meet you in person. I only know Heather through Twitter. I don't remember how we started following each other. But she has been wonderful on Twitter and is a great appreciator of all things theater and comedy and film and all that. 
And I love talking to those people about She's shows. She's whip smart. You'll have such a great time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And all of her trivia knowledge mm-hmm. that I know she possesses. What have you got coming up and how can people find you? I am on Twitter at Carrie Ginsburg, K-A-R-I-G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G. I'm also on Instagram. I think it's the same handle. I'm sure. on Facebook. I have a website, www.carrieginsburg.com. I also write a blog about my dogs, peanutbutterandcheese.net. We're on a bit of a hiatus right now, but we'll be back soon. We've got more adventures (laughs) to come. Um, But coming up, I'm playing Beatrice and Much Ado About Nothing at Next Stop Theater this winter. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to be Regan and King Lear with WOC Avant-Barde. So oh, cool. That'll be in the springtime. Oh, very cool. So I'm having a very classical 2017. I have heard this show referred to as the King Lear of the American Music Theater. Yes, I have yeah, heard that too. It works, doesn't it? Yeah. It works really well. Huh. Yeah. Look, it all comes back to Gypsy. It does. It all comes back to Gypsy. The original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Carrie Ginsburg for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Ah!